Lord, we come before you today, and that's the desire of our hearts, to just honor you, to just let this be a time that uh, lifts you up and glorifies you, and a time as well that you can just work in our minds and our hearts, and that you can mold us and shape us. Lord, we want to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. We want to do as he did and live that sacrificial life, and especially to take that and apply it into the most important of our relationships. So, Father, today we ask for that discernment, we ask for that willing heart, and where there's a hard heart, we ask that you would soften it, that it could just receive the gift of Jesus and the gift of that sacrifice he made for each one of us on a cross. Father, we come to you today, we thank you that you love us so much that you would give up everything that we might live. And so we pray, help us to live in that way that brings honor and glory to you. We ask it through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Let's go ahead and have a seat this morning. Well, we're starting a new uh, new message series this morning, uh, I Do, I Don't. Uh, and uh, during the course of the series, we hopefully will talk to everybody. Uh, today, we're going to talk to the married folks. What does it mean when you say, I do? And then uh, we've got another one coming up, uh, talking to the single folks, saying, hey, what about... Before you say, I do, you need to know. And then the folks who've been through some struggle and, and relationship breakup with divorce and uh, what happens when, when you or somebody says, I don't. Okay. So, but today, let's uh, start by thinking about what does it mean uh, when we say, I do. And uh, let's let our drama folks uh, give us one viewpoint. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today in the sight of God and these witnesses to join this man and this woman in holy matrimony. Marriage is ordained by God, and it is only by his sustenance that it shall endure. Mumbo jumbo, jumbo mumbo, mumbo jumbo, jumbo, etc., etc., so on, so on, so on. Oh, a little this and that, yada, yada, yada. Oh, which brings us to the vows. Please repeat after me. I, William. I, William. Take this woman. Expect this woman. To be my lawfully wedded wife. To coddle me all my life. To have and to hold from this day forward. To serve and enthrone me from this day forward. For better, for worse. I'll make sure I'm first. For richer, for poorer. Or until we need a lawyer. In sickness and in health. My real love is wealth. Forsaking all others. Except maybe my mother. To cling only to her. 
As long as she calls me sir. For as long as we both shall live. For as long as she continues to give. Or our Lord doth come. This better be fun. Janet, repeat after me. I, Janet. I, Janet. Take this man. Expect this man. To be my lawfully wedded husband. To be my awfully indebted husband. To have and to hold from this day forward. To shape and to mold from this day forward. For better, for worse. I'm better, he's worse. For richer, for poorer. He'll follow my orders. In sickness and in health. My concern is myself. Forsaking all others. I can't stand his mother. To cling only to him. To control only him. For as long as we both shall live. For as long as he continues to give. Or our Lord doth come. I hope this isn't dumb. And so, by the power vested in me, by the state of Wisconsin, and because of your vows of faithlessness, uh, I'm sorry, faithfulness, Freudian slip, I now pronounce you husband and wife. What God has joined together, let no man put asunder. What do you think? The, yeah, you go ahead and give him a clap there, huh? <laughs> so what do you think the odds are in Vegas on that marriage? Uh, you know, well, I mean, we know in general, in general, if we listen to statistics, the odds aren't so good anyway. I mean, 50% of our marriages are uh, ending in divorce, so it seems like a good thing for us as the people of God especially to uh, take some time and think about uh, so what does Scripture say when, it, when uh, we stand up here and ask for God's blessings and say, uh, I do? Now, you got one perspective here from William and from Janet, but I'm glad to tell you that Scripture offers a completely different way, a completely different perspective of what it means when the people of God say, uh, I do. And that's what we're going to talk about uh, today. What does it mean? for us as a follower of Christ to say, I do. Uh, and as we start, we're going to find our key passages today uh, in the book of Ephesians. Great book. But as we do it, you need to understand what Paul's doing in the book of Ephesians, okay? The book of Ephesians kind of lays out into, into two parts. And the first part, chapters 1, 2, and 3, are, are basically talking about, look, this is what we believe. Okay, they're making belief statements saying, look, this is kind of the summary. This is what we believe. But then when you get to Ephesians 4, in Ephesians 4, uh, Paul makes a transition and he says, now, if this is what we believe, then how should we take what we believe and apply that to say, this is how we should behave? And he looks at different circumstances of how we should behave. You can see the transition in chapter 4 uh, in verse 1. When he says, as a prisoner of the Lord, I beg you 
to live in a way that is worthy of the people, uh, people God has chosen to be his own. So he's saying, look, now we believe this, and if you're a Christ follower, you're supposed to live in a particular way. You're supposed to live in a way that's in contrast to the way the world lives. In this case, one would hope, in your marriage, you're going to live in a way that is completely different and in contrast from what you heard in the commitments that William and Janet were making, right? Wouldn't you summarize and say that the commitments that William and Janet were making were pretty self-focused commitments, right? I mean, each one of them was like, it's all about me, right? Mold and shape, and as long as I'm happy, and, you know, it's all about me, right? <laughs> what Paul is saying excuse me, is listen, we, we live in a different way because we believe, hence we take our belief, we apply that, and so we live in a way that God wants us to live. Then in chapter 5, which is the chapter where our key, key verses come in in Ephesians, in chapter 5, he starts chapter 5 saying, so do as God does. After all, you are his dear children. Let love be your guide. Christ loved us and offered his life for us as a sacrifice that pleases God. Okay, we believe this. We're supposed to behave differently than the way the world behaves. We operate in a different set of principles. And so he starts out chapter 5 to say, well, this is how you behave. You do as God does. I mean, we imitate Christ. We imitate, he's saying, we imitate what, what God has done for us. And he's real clear. So this is what... Christ has done for us. He let love be the guide, not self-interest. He let love be the guide. And because love was his guide, he lived a life that was sacrificial. You see that in the text? Because love was his guide, he lived a life that was sacrificial. And that's what pleased God. Right? We know that. We believe that. We believe that, that Christ gave up himself for each one of us so that we can live. So Paul's saying, listen, you believe that. Apply that into your own life in the way you live. When you get to the verses right before our key passages of today in Ephesians 5, Paul says, now act like people with good sense and not like fools. Everybody okay with that statement? <laughs> Common sense, right? These are evil times, so make every minute count. Don't be stupid. Instead, find out what the Lord wants you to do. So we're supposed to behave different. We're supposed to do as God does. And, and then we're supposed to behave, excuse me, behave in a way that is pleasing to God, to do whatever it is that the Lord wants us to do. I mean, everybody would agree with that, right? We live a life following Christ, and, and if Christ wants us to do it, we do that, right? Okay? So that's his thing. Now, the summary then for Paul in Ephesians 5 comes in verse 21. And this is a key verse for us, okay? In verse 21, Paul says, honor Christ and put others first. That's the principle. Now, here's what I want you to notice. Notice when he speaks verse 21, he is speaking to all of us. There's no gender qualification here. He's not speaking to wives. He's not speaking to husbands. He's speaking to all of us, right? He's saying, listen, this, this is how you apply your faith. Well, if you're a Christ follower, you're going to do what the Lord does. You're going to do what God does, who lived a sacrificial life for others. Well, that's what you do. 
then you as a Christ follower, follower behave in a way that, that puts others first, that is willing to sacrifice for the sake of others. It means that you and I live a life all the time looking for the opportunity to build somebody else up. Looking for the opportunity to, to, to serve somebody else in some way, to, to edify, encourage, strengthen somebody else in some way. And, and that's just what we do in the world. That's just the way we behave out there. Now, notice especially, uh, ladies, in verse 21, which talks to men and women, there is a key translation that often kind of sticks in ladies' throats uh, later on in the text. In verse 21, he says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Ladies, what is the key word that you really don't often like when you hear at weddings? Right, that word right there, submit, right? But now remember, this is verse 21. And in verse 21, he's not talking to just ladies. He's talking to men as well. He's talking to all of us, regardless of our gender, and saying, wait a minute, we just talked about what we believe. And we're supposed to act the way God wants us to act. We're supposed to act the way God has already acted towards us. And the way God acted towards us was a sacrificial life. And so all of us are supposed to willingly submit. That is, willingly put ourselves under other people. That The Greek word there, submit, the Greek word simply means to come in line under someone. To just put yourself in line under someone. The other translation does it by saying simply, listen, put others first, right? Put yourself under somebody else. Put somebody else is more important in your life. Look for the opportunity to encourage, edify, strengthen them. Look for the opportunity to be a servant. So there is a general call in our life that says, if you believe in Christ and you believe that he did that for you, then you should do that for others. You with me? Okay, general call. Now... Paul gets uh, specific as well as he talks to husbands and wives. And this principle that Paul is going to put before us should not surprise us because he also talks about it in Philippians 2, okay? He says, don't be jealous or proud, but be humble. Consider others more important than yourselves. What are we supposed to do? Consider others more important than ourselves. So this principle that we're talking about that he's going to apply appears elsewhere uh, in Scripture, Jesus even talks about this principle that he's going to apply in Mark 10, right? Jesus is talking to his disciples in Mark 10, and he says, Listen, you know that those foreigners who call themselves kings like to order their people around, and, and their great leaders have full power over the people they rule. But don't act like them. If you want to be great, you must be servant. See it? If you want to be great, you must be servant. Of all the others, if you want to be first, you must be everyone's same principle, isn't it? Same principle? Right. It is that principle of servanthood. Paul now, in Ephesians 5, takes that general principle that applies to absolutely all of us, and he applies that specifically into the marriage relationship. And these are key passages for the day. The key verses for today are Ephesians 5, starting at verse 22. And in Ephesians 5, Paul is now taking this principle of servanthood that applies to all of us and relating that specifically to how wives behave with their husbands and how husbands behave with their wives. Okay? The, 
the key principle for us is still mutual servanthood. That's the way it works. This is what makes our marriages work. Mutual servanthood. You ready? Wives, here we go. He says, a wife should put her husband first as she does the Lord. Now, look at that. That is such a me. Did you see that, ladies? A wife should put her husband first as what? As she does the Lord. As you relate to Christ and willingly put Christ first. He's saying, look, you, that's the behavior that you believe. You should take that behavior and apply that into your marriage and do the same thing for your husband. As you put Christ first, as you elevate Christ in your life, so you should do the same thing, apply that same principle into your marriage relationship. And lift up your husband. Put your husband first. Elevate your husband. Edify your husband. Encourage your husband. Look for the opportunity of serving your husband. It is the principle of simple mutual servanthood. He then says, <laughs> A husband is the head of a wife as Christ is the head and the Savior of the church, which is his own body. Now, lots of ladies get stuck on that one and say, oh, wow, there we go. There's the power thing. No, it's not a power thing at all, right? He's talking about leadership. What he's really saying is, listen, ladies, here is one of the best ways that you can serve your husband. Let them take the lead in your house. Put, put them first. Put yourself under, right? Willingly serve them by letting them take the lead in your house. Now, hold on to this kernel, because when we get to the very end of the message, you're going to see why this is absolutely important for your marriage to do that. Okay, But you've got to hold on to it for a minute for me. So kind of put that on the shelf. He's saying, look, this isn't a power thing. It's a servanthood thing. And so as Christ put you first, so you put your spouse first. Put your husband first. Let him take the lead. Just like you follow Jesus, just like you let Jesus take the lead, you let your husband take the lead in your life. And then he repeats himself in verse 24 and says, Wives, so you get it, you should how often? Always, always put their husbands first as the church puts Christ first. And again, he does the parallel, right? Look, as you put Christ first, the way you behave with Christ, that's the way you relate to your husband. Just go ahead and elevate your husband. Let him take the lead. Look at your husband as a person that you are seeking to serve. Elevate, edify, strengthen, and encourage. Okay? You got that, ladies? You with me? Okay. So, ladies, simple enough. Servanthood. Right? Servanthood. Now, a lot of ladies get hung up on that because they think, Wow, oh, no, you're still talking power. But the, what you've got to understand is, in the New Testament, this principle of having women... Uh, elevate their husbands is is a radical concept in the New Testament. In in New Testament times, in Paul's time, Jesus's time, women were considered property. So for the New Testament, the gospel to come along and say, ladies, listen, put yourself willingly under your husbands, come in line with your husbands, was was a radical statement because in most Greek households women didn't have any choice. I mean, there was no choice in the matter. They, they were just there to serve. That was it. And so this radical statement of the New Testament elevates women, right? You can see in Genesis that that, that position is affirmed. When you go into Genesis, you look at the creation accounts, and it says, the Lord God said, is, isn't good for man to live alone. I need to make a 
suitable what? Partner. It doesn't say suitable slave person. It says a suitable partner, right? So this is the radical idea of the gospel. And it's affirmed by Adam when uh, Adam meets Eve for the first time and he says, oh, here is someone like me. She's part of my body, my own flesh and bones. She came from me, a man, so I will name her woman. You know what this is in modern days? In modern days, this is the movie Jerry Maguire. This is the movie Jerry Maguire. And all you ladies right now, you know exactly what phrase I'm talking about, right? Right? Of course, you ask men about the movie Jerry, the movie Jerry Maguire, and you know a phrase men remember? Show me the money. Right. We've done this before, right? Show me the money, right? But every woman remembers when he comes in the house and all the ladies are there and he makes the big speech, right? And at the end of the speech, he says, you complete me, right? And by then you're all crying, aren't you? I know you are. You're all crying because you, oh, it's so good. Oh my gosh, right? You know, and she responds and says, you had me at hello, right? Okay. But anyway, Right? Well, but it's the same principle. See, what's happening here is the radical nature of the Gospels, ladies, is to tell you this, this is what you're about. That in your marriages, you are there to complete your husband in a positive, servant way. That, that in your marriage, your husband is incomplete without you. You are his created, molded, shaped, chosen partner. And so it's vital you get. It's not about power. It is about your willingness to understand that's your gift to your husband. Your ability to serve him and to edify him and to let him take the lead uh, in your house. Uh, Paul affirms it also in 1 Peter 3. I highlighted the part for you. He says, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. See how important that is? Absolutely. Well... In Ephesians 5, we go back to Ephesians 5 and just remember the principle then. Wives, you're there to uh, serve your husband. That's your role. Mutual servant, you're there to serve your husband, edify and encourage them, and put them first. All right? So, ladies, you square? All right, guys, you ready? Now it's up to the guys. Here we go. Guys, a husband should love his wife as much as Christ loved the church and gave his life for it. Guys, how much are you supposed to love your wife? To death. That's it. You're supposed to love them to death. Right? I mean, it's talking about a servanthood of sacrifice, isn't it? Saying, guys, th- this is your role. You're not there to have power over your wife. You are there to come in line and to be a servant of your wife. You're there to serve her as much as she's there to serve you. You are there to ready to lay aside your life to make sure that she is the most fulfilled happiest, you know, encouraged, edified woman that ever walked the face of the earth. That's your job. That's your job. Your job is to look for every opportunity you can to make sure that you serve your wife. And then Paul gives you a specific important task in in your relationship. And this is so important because your wives need this. You ready, guys? Your wives need this. He says in verse 26... He made the church holy by the power of his word, and he made it pure by washing it with water. Christ did this so that he would have a glorious, holy church without faults or spots or wrinkles or any other flaws. What's your role, guys? 
Christ makes his bride, the church, holy. Through what? The word and the sacraments. Washing of water. Your job, guys, is to be the spiritual leader in your house. Your wives need you to serve them in that way. I mean, they want that desperately. It's part of the way they're wired. And so your job to serve them, to be a servant to them, is to be that spiritual leader in the house. It shouldn't be them pushing you out of bed on Sunday morning to go to church. You should be the one making sure the alarm's set and you're all ready to go. Right? You should be the one that says, hey, let's pray about this. Or, hey, I know something's important and happened in your life. Let's, let's make sure we pray together about this. You should be the one to make sure that Scripture is being engaged in your house. Your wives need this. I tell you what, I have not met one wife yet, when I've talked to them and asked them about this, who has said, yeah, you know, I really hate it when my husband prays for me. I haven't met a woman yet who has said, man, it really bothers me when when my husband takes spiritual leadership. No, ladies are encouraged and strengthened when you do this. This is one way you serve them, guys. Okay? Am I right, ladies? I think I'm right on that. Right? It's in the scripture, so it's got to be right. All right? So, husbands, your job is to serve your wives, and especially in spiritual leadership in the, in the house. He says in First Peter, in the same way, so it's not just Ephesians, your husband must give honor to your wives, treat your wife with understanding, and live with her together there. Same, same principle. Peter's saying it. Paul is saying it. Guys, that's our role. Our role is to encourage, strengthen, and edify uh, our wives, and especially to do that spiritually. Paul says in Ephesians, in the same way, a husband should love his wife as much as he loves himself. A husband who loves his wife shows that he loves himself. None of us hate our own bodies. We provide for them, take good care of them, just as Christ does the church, because we're each part of his own body. What is he saying? Listen, if you do this, guys, you will be happier. If you get in this role of mutual servanthood, and you serve your wives, and you take spiritual leadership in your house... You will reap the benefits of having a happy wife. You tell me, is it better at your house when your wife is happy or when she's unhappy? You all know the answer, right? As it goes with mom, so it goes in the house, right? Isn't that the rule? I mean, yeah. And so Paul's telling it, listen, do this because this is what makes marriage work. This is what's going to make your marriage an incredible marriage is when we both, husbands and wives, get the concept of saying, listen, this is what we believe, that Jesus sacrificed himself for us. Therefore, this is how we're going to behave. We're going to live sacrificial lives, and especially we're going to make sure we do that with our spouses. Wives, we're going to serve our husbands. Husbands, we're going to serve our wives. We're going to make sure they are the most fulfilled people that ever walked the face of the earth. Now, how do we do that? Next question. Ready to get practical? Paul gets incredibly practical. He says in Ephesians 5, the way we do that is by making sure we meet each other's needs. What does it mean? It means for us, when we say, I do, unlike William and Janet here, for Christians, when we say, I do, and we commit to mutual servanthood, we're saying, listen, our marriage is going to be the incredible, exciting journey of discovering the needs and desires of that other person, of discovering what fulfills them, what makes them happy, what encourages them, what strengthens them, what brings them joy. It is that becoming 
like one person that Paul talks about. The discovery of what encourages them and strengthens them. And then Paul ends by giving you a hint, a starting place of how to do that on a practical level. Okay, And here's his practical teaching. He says, so each husband should do what? You can say it. Love his wife, right? All right, guys, you got that word? Your key word is what? Love, right? Each husband should love his wife. And as he loves himself. And each wife should respect her husband. Now, did you notice they're different? Why is he doing that? I mean, why didn't you just get kind of schmaltzy and Hallmark-like and, and say, you know, so each husband should love his wife and each wife should love her husband. But he didn't do that. Well, he didn't do that because Paul understands that we're different. If you haven't figured it out, guys and gals are different, right? And, and you need to understand, guys, your wife doesn't think like you think. She's not emotional like you are. She is just like really different. And, and ladies, you got your husband is like really different. He doesn't think like you like, like you think. He just doesn't emotionally wired like you are. He means just like really different. I can prove this to you. They did a study by, I think it was Harvard, they did a study, and they said that the average man uses about 10,000 words in a day. The average woman uses about 25,000 words in a day. You know what this means for marriages. When you get home, husband gets home, he's used up his 10,000 words, and his wife has 15,000 to go. Right? That's the way it is. Right? Why is that? Well, because we're different. Right? And so we get that. We're different. It's exciting to discover how do we serve this other person. Guys, I got a great list for you. I'm going to make it quick. I got a great 